Amen. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Father, what a great privilege is ours to stand before you just. To have all these wonderful truths have taken place for people like us who are so undeserving. Father, to be seated in the heavenlies and identified with Christ and to be written on your hand. And then that that reality that we've just sung about, about the, the substitutionary death of Christ, how our sin is upon Christ and Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. Thank you for your amazing grace, Father. Father, today, if there's any blind eyes in the audience, would you please open them? Father, would you encourage hearts that are discouraged and, and folks that are defeated? Would you just strengthen us through the teaching of your word and, and just encourage our hearts through the ministry of your Holy Spirit as, as we unfold the word of God together now and receive it into our lives? Father, it's with joy that we do this, and it's in Jesus' name alone that we do this. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you'll think back in your mind's eye to what it might have been like for a young family having a brand new baby in the year 1820, up in the state of New York, I'm sure that there was great joy and delight as they welcomed this baby girl into their home. They named her kind of an odd name for us today. Her first name was Fanny. Good name to get you in trouble with at elementary school with the other kids. Fanny Jane. Fanny Jane Crosby. 1820. Baby Fanny Jane was only two months old when she got very sick. Her mother was very concerned, and so they called the doctor, and in this ear, the doctor came to the house. It so happened that the family physician was away, and so another doctor came to attend to the baby, and it turned out that he was a quack. He was only pretending to be a certified doctor, and he really wasn't. And in examining baby Fanny Jane in her illness, he thought that it would help her if he prescribed a hot mustard poultice that they would put on her eyes. And instead of helping her, though she got well from her illness, she became, at two months of age, stone blind. It's a pitiful story. You might wonder, what happened to that young girl? She lived to be 95 years of age. Many of you recognize her name. and In fact, she was a prolific poet. And she wrote poems specifically to be written into our hymnal. She actually, in her older life, did this for a living. She was committed to writing up to three hymns a week. Sometimes she would write seven or eight in a day, and in her lifetime she wrote over 9,000 poems that are in our hymnal. And in fact, we began our service with one of her most well-known, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation. Fanny often wrote about the hope of heaven. She often 
bubbled over with the realities of her great salvation in Christ, and it comes through in her many, many hymns. To illustrate the resilience and just the heart of this precious young girl, at age of eight, one of her earliest poems that she ever wrote goes like this. Now think about it. She's been blind since she was two months old. And at age eight, she writes this line of poetry. Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Age eight. Wow. A very familiar story about Fanny uh, is that one day uh, a pastor that she knew and a well-meaning man, I'm sure he was, expressed to her um, in words something like this and, and, and said, Fanny, I think it is such a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. She was a wonderful musician, could play about five different instruments. She served in her adult life all of the presidents of her adult life and knew them personally. And uh, she was a remarkable woman. She wrote so many hymns that she often wrote under a pseudonym, and uh, a pen name, because she didn't want her name over and over repeatedly in the hymnal too many times. The minister said, what a shame the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you, Fanny. And Fanny looked at him and immediately said, do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? She said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I, I don't know that I can say that. Hey, would you take your hymnal and open to hymn number 554? Open the hymnal in the chair in front of you to hymn number 554. And let me, let me give you an illustration of how her, her love for Christ and her longing to see Christ came through in her poetic phrase and in a hymn that... Uh, I have always enjoyed, even though it's a very old hymn written by Fanny Crosby, and we rarely sing it anymore. 554, my Savior first of all. Now just watch the words. When my life work is ended, and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and His smile will be the first to welcome me. And I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the prince of the nails in his side. Now watch how verse 2 begins. Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture when I view his blessed face. Wow. Wow. To think of having no image imprinted in your brain no ability to recall at age of two months the face of your mother. No faces imaged in your mind. And one day to step across in glory. And as your eyes open and all things are made right, the very first face you see is that of your Lord Jesus. Wow. 
It's almost enviable, isn't it? Well, in Matthew chapter 20, we have two blind men that Jesus heals. And I think it must have been most remarkable when they opened their eyes to look upon the face of King Jesus. Can we turn there? It's Matthew chapter 20. And we're talking about the blind receiving their sight as we work our way through this great gospel. You need to recognize as we are in Matthew 20 that um, I I will admit in, in full disclosure that I had absolutely nothing to do with planning it that next Sunday would be Matthew 21, the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. It was purely a, a luck of the draw. God is sovereign, isn't he? It just so happened. God must be in it, huh? Of all the time we've been meandering through Matthew, and here we are right on time for Palm Sunday. I would say that it takes many years as a pastor to get that skill, don't you think? (laughs) I had nothing to do with it. It just so happened. You need to know that, that we're really only a little over a week away from Judas betraying our Lord now. Just a little over a week away in Matthew's timeline. And we have this interesting short story that I think is notable and worth our attention for our message today. Verse 29 is where it begins in Matthew chapter 20. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. Interesting. I'd like to read Mark's parallel account. Um, I've noted in the notes, Luke also records this. Luke the historian, Mark the eyewitness, Luke who is recounting and research. But in Mark chapter 10, we have Mark's parallel account. And I want to just, um, by way of introduction, remind us of a couple things that you might pick up if you read uh, these stories. Okay, so this is, we've just read Matthew's account uh, as, as the Holy Spirit. Uh, led him to record it in in inspired scripture. And then Mark records, and I want you to notice a little different reflection in Mark's story. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man to Jesus, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling for you. The master's calling for you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, rabbi or teacher, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed on his way. Shabang! And you can see Jesus. Can I say it again? 
Why would you ever be embarrassed of such a Lord Jesus as this? Why would you ever hesitate to follow after the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the one who could make the blind to see? What a wonderful Lord Jesus we have. Well, if you have your notes nearby, you might find it helpful to write down a few things. Um, But let me comment on a couple things. First of all, um, it, it might bother a couple people that when you read the parallel accounts, that Matthew says there were two men who were blind. And when you read Mark's account, he says there was one man, and it's clearly the same account. There's no discrepancy there. It is the same account, but Mark says there was a man, and Mark gives us his name, Bartimaeus the son of Timotheus, or whatever they said his name was. I can't remember. You saw it there. We read it. So he identifies the guy, right? Uh, Timaeus. He he identifies him as that guy's son, and he's Bartimaeus, the blind man. And so one of the questions that can come up is, okay, was there one guy or were there two guys? There were two guys. Matthew just gave details of two guys. Mark just recorded in his account that there was one guy. And then you say, why didn't Matthew name him and Mark did? I don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us. But I think it's kind of interesting um, when you look at the different stories, some of the nuance that you can get. And I suspect that when Mark was writing to his audience, he knew that some of the people that were going to read his gospel would know who Bartimaeus was. And I suspect that Bartimaeus had connected with the body of Christ after following Christ and after his ascension into heaven, after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, that Bartimaeus became part of the church and that his testimony was well known. Now I'm just surmising that, but I think it makes sense and that that there were some who would have known, oh, Bartimaeus, he was one of the guys that Jesus healed from blindness and they knew his testimony and they knew who he was and they loved Bartimaeus and he was known and so Mark just made that note. Matthew evidently writing to his audience uh, didn't feel that it was important to record his name. They probably would have no idea. It would have been meaningless to them perhaps. So the Bible doesn't tell us but I don't think you need to let that rock your boat. You'll also notice if you read the parallel accounts that um, uh, Matthew and Mark say that, that Jesus was uh, uh, healed the blind man as he was leaving Jericho. And Luke, in his chapter 18 parallel account, says that Jesus was entering Jericho. And so there you go again. You have another Bible discrepancy. What are you going to do with that? Well, don't ever let that stuff like that rock your boat. Usually it's little things like that. And almost always there's really good answers. On the one hand, we don't know for sure why they wrote it the way they did. But you don't have to to let it bug you too much. One thing that archaeologists tell us and Bible scholars tell us is that there were two cities of Jericho right next to each other. One was the old city of Jericho. Um, Remember, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. And what happened to the walls? And the walls came a tumbling down and they built another Jericho right next to it. And so evidently Jesus was leaving the old rubble of old Jericho on the road there and he was leaving and and he was entering the new Jericho. And two of them said he was leaving Jericho and one said he was entering Jericho and they're both right. That's one plausible answer. We don't know for sure. Is it possible that maybe he was leaving and then he turned around and came back? 
and that two of them recorded that he was leaving and then he saw Bartimaeus and was called back by his cries. So he turned around and came back and that Luke, the historian, when he did his research, remember Luke was not an eyewitness, but when he did his research, the people he interviewed said Jesus was walking back into Jer- Jericho. We also know that he's going to have his encounter with Zacchaeus right about now. So it's kind of interesting. I I say that and take just a minute not to raise doubt in your mind, but to give you confidence in Scripture that Scripture is very trustworthy and to remind you that when we look at the different vantage points from the Gospels, it's always enlightening and and it's interesting to pick up on the different nuance. Now to our notes and our story. The first thing I want you to see is that we encounter these two blind men that Matthew is writing about. And they are in, number one, a deplorable situation. They're in a deplorable situation. We know from Mark and Luke's account that they were poor beggars. It says so there. They were poor beggars. I think it's interesting to note that in their condition, and when, he's give, when he gives them sight, that the word, and the ESV brings this out. Some of you might say they receive their sight. Your text might say when Jesus heals them, they receive their sight. Um, uh, the ESV says they recovered their sight. The idea there is, and um, that's in um, Matthew 20, verse 34 there, and immediately they recovered their sight. A lot of Bible scholars believe uh, that the way it's phrased in the grammar, that it was these were men who at one time had sight, but had lost their sight, and now they're getting it back again. And I have to think that, that that only makes their circumstances that much more difficult. That they could see, and they could function, and they could be productive, and they could work with their hands. And then they lost their eyesight. Don't know why. A disease of some kind. Maybe in battle they got, you know, boiling water thrown down on them. Maybe they got kicked in the side of the head by a mule. We don't know. They lost their eyesight. And in this society, and in this uh, uh, geo-social time, There was no government plan for them. Their families had to take care of them. Evidently, their families couldn't take care of them in the home. And and these men needed to support themselves by begging. And so they're out on the road in the dirt, sitting there. And beggars were often very dirty, unkept people. And for one thing, they can't see themselves in a mirror. And so they end up being a bit disheveled and dirty. I've seen this, you know, in our culture and society. We're not used to people with this kind of difficulty not being cared for. Either family members who lovingly will care for their special needs folks, or they will be in a situation where they're in a a nursing care facility where they are cared for and clean, and and they can go to school and all kinds of things. In this culture, it it was absolutely the opposite. It was that way in Malawi. I remember in early 2000s when I first went to Malawi, Southeast Africa, we referenced them with their orphanage um, and I reference them off, often because it Im- has impacted my life to be there three times and minister. And one of the things that was so striking the first time I went was to see all of the broken people just out on the streets begging. And children and young teenagers and grown adults and, and distorted, grotesquely distorted bodies who were born or were, were somehow deformed I remember one time getting out of the car and there was a a young boy, maybe 13 years old. He had like an 11-year-old. He had his hand on his shoulder and clearly his eyes were blind, seeping and no sight in his eyes and just filthy, dirty, stinky. 
begging. This is a deplorable situation. Out of that deplorable situation comes a cry of desperation. Notice what we have. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, verse 30. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out. Well, if, if I knew Jesus was going by, I'd be start hollering too, wouldn't you? Um, it's interesting when you look at the grammar here that the word cried out is interesting in that they cried out. It's a word that is used to describe an insane person's cry. The way an insane person would wail or cry out. It was a notable cry. Um, in, in our New Testament, um, it's also used in Mark chapter 15, in Mark's account of the crucifixion. And that word cried out is used of the crowd when they cried out to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. That was the same, it's the same language, crying out. It's a big holler out. It's a real shout out. It's used of the uh, Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, and she cried out to Jesus. In other words, I really want your attention. I don't care. I am desperate. It is used of, the, of our Lord Jesus himself on the cross when it says that he cried out in agony. Not a pleasant sound. And, and there on the side of the road, they cry out in desperation. And it is, it's insightful to note that they say, Have mercy on us, Son of David. That's, some, that's messianic phraseology. That's the idea that they recognized at some level that Jesus was the Messiah. They knew, the Israelites knew, the Jewish people knew that, that the Messiah would be the, in the lineage of David. Son of David was a name for the Messiah. How much did they really get about this? I don't know. Jesus attributes the fact later on that he healed them by their faith, Mark says. Your faith has healed you. Somehow they believed and they knew that this was no ordinary man walking down the road. And Jesus comes along and they cry out. Notice the public condemnation then. Uh, typical of the crowd. Somebody's yelling. Somebody's uh, crying out, have mercy on us, son of David, verse 31. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. So in no uncertain terms, the crowd say, shut up, be quiet. And I love the next sentence, next part of the sentence. But they cried out all the more. I need Jesus today. And I don't care what you think. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I got to get to Jesus. Some of you have been there, haven't you? It might not be with physical blindness, but you've been there in spiritual blindness. And then it hits you. I need Jesus today. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody does. I don't care what anybody calls me. Because I'm sure names are being called, these guys. I imagine that these guys were used to being somewhat abused by the crowd. You know, they're sitting by the roadsides. They're sitting on sidewalks and thoroughfares and they can't see. And so no doubt they, you know, they, they, they're walking sticks and their junk gets in people's way. People kick it, kick it out of the way. Then they're trying to find it and they can't find it. Somebody else kicks their arm. Somebody spits on them. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. Here the crowd is despising them yet again. And they don't care. Today is the day. I have a chance of recovery today. I wonder, if, I wonder if some of you have been so defeated in the blindness of sin and maybe addiction that many days you had no hope of recovery. 
And then there was a day when you thought, I have a chance. I have a chance of recovery today if I cry out to Jesus. That's what's happening here. And so with the public condemnation, when the crowd is often callous, isn't it? The crowd is often callous and the crowd is often cruel. And you have to take your eyes off of the crowd if you're going to come to Jesus. Because the crowd will abuse you. The crowd is never in favor of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that someone who is so wonderful that they would stop on their busy schedule and heal two blind men like this, why wouldn't they be lifted up? Why wouldn't he be lifted up? And the crowd is following him. But then just the next week, they're going to release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Go figure! What is it with the crowd? What is it that the name of Jesus offends people? You can talk God all day long. You start calling out to Jesus and people will try to shut you down because he alone is the way, the truth, and the life and it's an exclusive gospel and people hate that. These guys don't care. And the callous crowd and the cruel crowd only, only feed, number four, their stubborn determination because why? And it says they cried out all the more, Lord, end of verse 31, Lord, have mercy on us. Mercy is an acknowledgement that I need something I do not even deserve. Just give it to me. I need it. Lord, have mercy. Hold back what it is that I really deserve and then, and then have the grace to give me what I don't deserve. Because they understood, bullet point under number four, they understood the power of Christ to change their lives. And when they had that glimpse and the reality was that they could change, they were ready. Do you know that people never change until they're ready? Until the want to is all there. No holding back. You know, you know these two blind guys sitting on the side of the road? They weren't saying like, I really want Jesus. And on the inside, they're saying, but I'm going to hold back like 33.3% of my blindness just to have fun with it later. No, they didn't say, I'm going to hold back this little slice of my old sick blindness so that I can dabble in my blindness later on. I really do want Jesus, but I really want to hold on. No, 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 no. They were ready to get rid of all the blindness right now, and their hope was Jesus, and so they don't care. It's Jesus now, and it's everything. And that's when Jesus brings change. When you are so sick and tired of your blindness that you want it all gone. And we have a real, real problem, don't we, in our culture with addiction. And heroin addiction and all kinds of different kinds of venues and different kinds of drugs and alcohol. And, and our young people are highly addicted, even our even older people now. You can't get off it. You know what happens so often with people who are addicted? And you've worked with them. Some of you have been there. You've been that person or you've worked with them. And you go, and it ends up being this big cycle. You get them cleaned up, man. They're just a mess. And whenever I work with people that are just all messed up and they're, they're either stone drunk or they're just high or they're almost dead or, you know, they, they, and they've just about done it in and, and they've been picked up off, a, off of a dirty alley somewhere or some unclean floor and, and now we're trying to clean them up. I said, look, and, and you know, in their heart of hearts, they have to get to a place where they say no more 
and Jesus only. But it's so cyclical. That's how addictive these drugs are. It's horrible. We've shoved guys in the shower down here at the pavilion in the past and kind of reach in and scrub them off, man. You're filthy. What is it, as Proverbs says about the vomit, that they want to go back to their vomit? You know, sometimes it's because they're not like these blind guys. Sometimes it's because they haven't got to where they're ready to give up all the blindness. And they're certainly not ready to deal with the crowd, their old crowd that they ran with, that wants to tell them, come back, come back, or tell them what to do. The crowd here is trying to tell these guys what to do, and they, they don't care what the crowd thinks. And when you get to where you don't want to hold on to any of your blindness, and you are sick of your vomit, and you, are, you don't care one bit what the crowd says, then you're just about ready to come to Jesus. You know that he's the one. Look what they said then. Stubborn determination. Jesus hears them, it says, and the Lord have mercy on the son of David. And so stopping, Jesus stops. There's a huge crowd. His disciples are around him. The crowd is trying to shut down these two guys. And Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Mark and Luke tell us they went and got him and brought him to Jesus. Evidently, there was a, just a cacophony of sound. So they go and get the guys and bring them to him. What do you want me to do for you? You ready for that question? What do you want me to do for you? And so the, there's a question of clarification. Jesus wants to hear. What do you want? People ask Jesus all kinds of questions. You want me to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And Jesus answers something like this. Man, who made me your arbiter? Go settle your own problems. These guys give the right answer. We want to see today. We want our blindness to be gone. I'm done with it. I'm sick of sitting on the roadside. I'm sick of being broken. I'm sick of being totally blind. And I'm ready for Jesus to come take care of my blind eyes. That's it. And there's no other cure. Jesus hears it, that they are longing for illumination. Lord, let my eyes be opened is the answer. Lord, would you open my eyes today? That's it. And then Jesus, physically, he restores their sight. And spiritually, he redirects their life. What we have now, number seven, is complete transformation of these guys. It's why I really think it's a viable answer to why Mark named Bartimaeus. Because it was so astounding that that day a blind beggar was healed and everybody knew that that testimony from that day on was Bartimaeus and he was the one and he connected because look what it says. Lord, let our eyes be open in verse 34. And Jesus in pity, there's the compassion of our Lord Jesus. You know... No matter how blind you are or how you're laying face down in blindness and laying in your old vomit, that Jesus has compassion and pity always. And he had pity. The crowd didn't have pity. Probably the disciples didn't have compassion. Jesus had pity. He touches their eyes and immediately, shabam, bang, boom, sight, looking at Jesus. That's pretty cool. Like I say, it's almost worth being blind to have that experience. 
And so there is complete transformation, both physically, sight restored, spiritually, life redirected, all because Jesus had compassion for a blind person. What do we do with a sermon like this? Where do we take this? How do we apply it to our lives? Number one, I want you to know that Jesus always has time for blind people. Jesus always has time for blind people. He's busy. He's only one week away from the cross. He's got a crowd around him. He's moving. He's on a destination. There's an agenda. There's a time frame. He's got disciples pulling at his sleeve. And some blind guy sitting on the side of the road, stinking and smelly, cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus always has time for that prayer right there. Son of David, have mercy on me. Would you heal my blindness? And Jesus has all the time in the world right there. I think on the one hand, there's a model for us, isn't there? You know, if you've worked with blind, now I'm talking spiritually blind people. You've worked with blind people who are stuck in their broken sinfulness. And you pick them up out of their vomit and you go get them and you pay their bills and you just don't know what to do with them. It's really old. Sometimes it's hard to have time for stinky, dirty, rotten, sinful, broken people. And I think we have a model for Je- from Jesus on our part. We better have time. Now, sometimes people aren't ready to be helped and we don't want to enable them. And we need wisdom and good judgment. But when a blind person is crying out for help, Jesus has time. Do you? Secondly, I want to tell you, don't let the crowd distract you. Don't let the crowd distract you. It's possible that today here you recognize that you need Jesus to make you see. And you need your blindness cured. And you need to be made whole again. Who cares what anybody thinks? Who cares who you are, what strata or level or how important you are or whatever? Who cares? There's only one thing that matters and that is that Jesus is there and I know I'm blind and I'm ready to get rid of 100% of my blindness right now, right here, no matter what the crowd says. Cry out to Jesus. Stop caring about what everybody else thinks and get to Jesus, will you? And let him make you see. Do you know that we're all blind in our sin, right? You know that all have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God and we can't get to God. And our sin is taking us down the road to hell and death. And the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've never been to the cross, what we sang about earlier, and you've been to the cross, you've never been to the cross where Jesus went and took our sinfulness upon himself as though he had sinned. And then we come in brokenness and we admit our sinful blindness and we say, Son of David, heal me now. I confess my sinfulness. Would you make me whole? Would you make me see? Would you make me your child? Would you dramatically change my life? If you haven't been there, you need to get there today. And if the crowd is holding you back, forget the stinking crowd. Nothing matters but being able to see Jesus. That's all that matters. 
That's all that matters. And some of you who are embarrassed to represent Jesus in the crowd, forget the stinking crowd. Why would we ever be embarrassed to stand with Jesus in helping blind people? It's what we're all about. Are you ready to answer that question? Do you have an answer to that question? When Jesus looks at you and he says, what do you want me to do? Do you know what you want Jesus to do today in your life? Do you recognize your sinful blindness? Are you ready to bow your head before the cross and say, Jesus, son of David, you've taken my sin upon yourself and I receive your forgiveness and righteousness and I want to have everlasting life and I want the light of life to flow in me. Will you give me sight to my blind eyes? Will you stand and pray with me? With our heads bowed, I'm going to ask Pastor Jim Shoopy to come forward and Elder Gary Fry to come forward, one and stand on each side of the front of the auditorium here this morning. And in a few minutes when we dismiss, the crowd is going to go one way, but maybe you need to come the other way against the crowd. You need to buck the crowd and you need to come forward. You say, well, we got to go out to lunch. I don't care. Let them go out to lunch. Forget worrying about anything but getting to Jesus so that your blind eyes can see. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day to cry out to Jesus, Son of David. You come forward and these men will open God's Word. They will pray with you. Maybe some of you are stuck in blindness otherwise. You have addictions and you are so blind and you don't know how to get your sight back. And you come and you you pray with them. Let them encourage you. Let them pray with you. Know that God loved you so much and He has compassion and pity. He loves you so much that He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life and sight. And so, Father, convict our hearts and challenge us. There's people in our lives that need to get to to Jesus. Would you please help us to help them get their sight back? Father, if there's someone here today who needs to come forward and be saved, they need to see Jesus for the first time today and open their blind eyes, would you do that? Would you just overwhelm them and help them to forget about the crowd and just come forward and deal with these men here today and pray to receive Christ? Crying out, you know their heart cry even right now as they cry out for sight. Father, encourage our hearts and strengthen us. Help us never to be embarrassed of Jesus. Would you just open blind eyes today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.